Um, Open up your Bibles to Matthew chapter 20. Matthew chapter 20. And uh, uh, I'm I'm very sorry, um, those of you at uh, Freedom Gospel Hall. um, (laughs) No, no, I didn't. is, is that her name? Or <laughs> no, I, no I, I'm having looks like you're maybe offended by this. No, I don't mean anything. Freedom Bible Chapel, Freedom, uh, I think we're actually Freedom Bible Fellowship. <clears throat> yeah. Um, I'm, I'm very, very sorry because uh, I, I preached the same message to all of you a few weeks ago. But uh, I feel like I should preach this to the whole group this morning. So um, those of you at uh, Freedom Bible Fellowship, you can just uh, go to sleep now. <clears throat> and, um, let, let's pray. Father God, we, uh, we just thank you. We thank you so much uh, for your grace and your mercy and your love and that you use people um, that uh, really are not qualified for the job. None of us are, are qualified for uh, the, the great... Uh, unimaginable call that uh, you have given, that you have extended to to your servants. Um, all of us have g- different gifts and abilities. Um, each one has a different personality, a different character, yet uh, you have called us to be part of your great um, universal body of Christ. And uh, we we thank you for the great honor that it is to to serve you, the King of kings and Lord of lords. Lord, here we stand at the edge of time, um, so close to the return of Christ. I pray that you would put into our hearts a sense of urgency as we live in these last days. I pray that you would help me to say the words that you want me to say, to uh, recall to mind the things that I've prepared and, and thought about in this passage. And uh, Lord, we, we just pray that uh, that Christ would be um, exalted and magnified in our lives um, as we attempt great things for you, and your your great name and your great cause and your great son. <clears throat> Lord, um, once again, I, I just want to pray um, that you would give us an eternal perspective, that you would stamp eternity on our eyeballs. So Lord, we put these few minutes into your hands. In Jesus' name, amen. <clears throat> Um, let's start out by just reading the passage here. Matthew chapter 20, verses uh, 1 to 15. For the kingdom of heaven is like a master of a house who went out early in the morning to hire laborers for his vineyards. vineyard. After agreeing with the laborers for denarius a day, he sent them into his vineyard. And going out about the third hour, he saw others standing idle in the marketplace. And to them he said, you go into the vineyard too, and whatever is right, I will give to you. So they went. Going out again about the sixth hour and the ninth hour, he did the same. And about the eleventh hour, he went out and found others standing and said to them, why do you stand here idle all the day? They said to him, because no one has hired us. He said to them, you go into the vineyard too. 
And when evening came, the owner of the vineyard came, or the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, Call the laborers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last up to the first. And when those hired about the eleventh hour came, each of them received a denarius. So when those hired first came, they thought they would receive more. But each of them also received a denarius, and on receiving it, they grumbled at the master of the house, saying, These last worked only one hour, and you have made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the day and the scorching heat. But he replied to one of them, Friend, I am doing you no wrong. Did you not agree with me for a denarius? Take what, is, what belongs to you and go. I choose to give to this last worker as I give to you. Am I not allowed to do what I choose with what belongs to me? Or do you begrudge my generosity? So the last will be first and the first last. I was um, in a past life, I was an electrician. And um, I grew up in Portland, Oregon. And uh, I met Amy. Can you not hear me? Hello. You know, I just feel like in the jungles of Peru, it's way easier to preach. None of this fancy uh, te technology and the, and the microphones and everything like that. Uh, you just get up on top of a bench and you, you just rip all the wires off. No, you don't even have wires to rip off. That's what I feel like doing. Rip all the wires off and just preach. Um, can you hear me? Yes. Okay. Maybe I should just yell. I, I know the recording is important. And, but if, if I have any more problems, I'm just going to rip it off and there'll be no recording. Um, it's better when there's no recording. Then if there's any heresy, like nobody can go back to, to point at that. So, um, so, so in a past life, I was, I was an electrician. And uh, right out of high school, I wanted to marry Amy. And uh, my dad was an electrician. It was a good career for him. And, uh, and so uh, I, I needed to make money somehow to, uh, to, to have a wife and maybe kids later on. So anyway, I, I went the electrician route and I went through an apprenticeship. And after a few years, I got my license. And uh, anyway, those days of uh, being an apprentice as an electrician, a couple of years uh, working under journeyman, and there was this one guy at the shop and he was a good electrician. His name was Todd. And uh, I forget his last name. So Todd, if you're listening to this on the internet somewhere at some point, uh, uh, I won't say your last name. Um, but uh, Todd, this guy was a good electrician, uh, but it was extremely hard to work with this guy, and almost nobody could work with this guy, but they sent me to be his apprentice, and, and I ended up working with this guy for like two and a half, three years, and uh, I just had to keep my mouth shut working with him. Anyway, um, he would kind of take it easy the whole day, uh, the work day from 7 o'clock in the morning to 3.30. And uh, he would just kind of dilly-dally the whole day, and, and then it got to 2.30, one hour before, before the, the work day was over. And he would kind of adjust his tool belt and, and, and get everything kind of ready, and he'd kind of stand back and stick his chest out, and he'd yell, 60 minutes to go! 60 minutes to go! 60 minutes to go! And then the guy would go ballistic. 
I mean, there were wires flying everywhere and tools and hammer and oh, it was, it was unbelievable what this guy could do in one hour. In like the last 60 minutes, he could, uh, he could wire the, the entire house almost all by himself. I mean, the guy, the guy was incredible. But I remember when he would, he would say this almost every day at 2.30, 60 minutes to go. And I mean, we all got ready. I mean, he, he was going crazy and you better go crazy too. And, and, and I remember just thinking, someday, I'm going to preach that. <laughs> That's a really good line. And, and maybe it was a few years later, and I read this passage. This is the passage. This is the passage. It goes with Todd the electrician. 11th hour workers, and they've got one hour to go. Now, I want to point out a couple of things. My point here is the day is almost gone. Number two, the vineyard is ripe for harvest. Number three, the 11th hour worker. Number four, the scandal of grace. And number five, five, this is not a normal master. Okay, so the day is almost gone. This idea of this master of the house or this master owner of, of these lands and these vineyards he goes out early in the morning, it says. He goes out early in the morning looking for workers. And uh, I, I'm sure he gets, uh, you know, a bunch of workers to go out into the vineyard. And, and the workday seems to be from, from 6 a.m. to 6 p.m. This is the workday. It's a 12-hour workday, not an 8-hour workday like I worked with Todd, but uh, a 12-hour workday. So 6 a.m., 9 a.m. would be that, uh, that third hour of the day. The, the sixth hour of the day being 12 noon. Ninth hour of the day being 3 p.m. The 11th hour then would have been 5, or, or 5 p.m. And then the 12th, 6, 6 p.m. That, that's when the day ends. And, and so this, this master, he goes out looking for these workers. And it mentions that at the third hour and, and at the sixth hour and at the ninth hour. He just keeps on going out there. Um, so when he goes out there at the 11th hour, just to emphasize once again, you're getting it, at the 11th hour, there's, there's just one hour left. And you think about that as, as this passage applies to us, where we are in human history right now. And once again, it, it might be a thousand years out until the return of the Lord Jesus Christ. But I really don't think it's going to be that long. You look at the way everything is going in our world today, and, and even just the things that have happened in the last few years, things are just lining up or falling into place for the kinds of things that we read about in the book of Revelation. We are really, really close. I, I would venture to say we're in the 11th hour. And even if we aren't in the 11th, maybe we're in the 10th hour, but, but really, you think of your life, and, and some of you are older than others, and you just look at your own life, and you are in the 11th hour of the life, the years that the Lord has given you. And, and some of you that are younger, maybe if, if, if the Lord gives you 80 years, you're, just, you're kind of at the, uh, the third hour of the day as you're looking at your life. But really, if the Lord is going to come back during this generation, which he very may well, we're all at the same hour in human history. We're all at the same hour, and I'm suggesting we are at the 11th hour right now. Um, I remember I was at a camp when I was little, 
and, and the, the speaker, he had stretched a string out uh, across, the, across the chapel building, and there was a door on that side, and the string went out the door, and, the st- and there was a door on this side, the string went out the door, and he said, this string represents eternity. And, and, it, and let's just imagine the string goes on forever and ever out that door, and forever and hour ever out this door, and then he went up with a little marker, a little sharpie, and he put a little mark on there, and he said, that's your life in comparison to eternity. And, and I mean, I was like I don't know, 10 years old or something when I heard this message, and it still sticks with me. I, get, I wish I could stretch a string out, but I, it, you'd be able to see the end of it probably here. And, but uh, I mean, it was just a great illustration that stuck with me. Man, life is so short in comparison to eternity. And if this is the 11th hour, 60 minutes to go, life is like a vapor that appears for a little while and then vanishes away. Um, a, f- a few weeks ago, I, I was, uh, we were in Watsonville, and uh, we had just had the, the week um, Freedom Bible Camp with all the kids, and um, we went to the beach at one point uh, with, with everybody, and, and I went out on the pier, and I, shared the, I was trying to share the gospel with different people and get it on video, and I have several recorded conversations that I'll, I'll put them together and, and, and put them on the internet at some point, but I, I talked with this one guy. His name was Jonathan. He was just, he had a shirt off, he was fishing, he was covered in tattoos, really nice guy, and had a great conversation with him, but he had explained to me that he had just gotten out of prison, and uh, he was actually, he had a 40-year sentence because he had been in seven car accidents, and he was the drunk driver in all of them, and he alluded to people had died. Um, somehow he had, he had they'd shortened his, his sentence, and, and he got out, but he really recognized the brevity of life and how he'd been given another chance. And, and as I'm talking with him, and he kind of agreed with the idea of a higher power and things like that, but definitely not the gospel. But it was interesting to talk to him, and I just told him, seven car accidents, drunk driving. The, you got out of jail. You should be in jail for the rest of your life, really. And I just looked at him in the eyes. you got 60 minutes to go. 60 minutes to go. 60 minutes to go. You very well may be at the very end of your life. The, the God that I'm trying to speak to you about has given you just a few more minutes, a few more years. What will you do with this gospel message? What will you do with Jesus? Other thing that I want to bring out here, the vineyard is ripe for harvest. Harvest of souls. The, the fields are white unto harvest. Whenever I go into the streets, and just talking with that guy, this guy Jonathan I just talked about, and, and so many other people, I'm always amazed at how interested people are at, 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 in talking about spiritual things. Even I thought coming to California, it would be extremely difficult to, to speak with people about spiritual things. And I found the opposite. Actually, in California, I, I find people are very spiritual. I mean, they all haven't got like really weird ideas. But uh, it's easier to talk to people here about the gospel than it is to talk to people about the gospel in, in the Bible Belt. It, it really is. I, I try to, everywhere I go, share the gospel with people on the streets and kind of get the spiritual temperature where I'm at. And here in California, the left coast, this the whole left, Portland, Seattle, man, I mean, Los Angeles, San Francisco, these are dark places. 
But people are interested in talking about spiritual things, and many people have not ever really heard the gospel. I've talked to so many people that have told me, that's the first time I understood why Jesus died on the... I've heard Jesus die on the cross, but I never understood why... I, had the, I don't understand why... How some guy 2,000 years ago dying on a cross saves people from hell. How, what, how does that work? So many people have told me, that's the first time I've ever understood that. Harvest is ripe. Eight billion people on the planet, I think, almost right now. When I was born in 1976, I looked it up. There was four billion people on the planet. The population in the world has doubled in my lifetime. And it's just going to be like the, the compounding factor there. It's just, I mean, it's, we're really just going to grow exponentially here in the next couple of years if, if the Lord tarries in His return. So many people on the planet. This harvest is ripe, ripe, ripe. Go! Go! Go into the harvest! Go into the harvest! 60 minutes to go! 60 minutes to go! That being the idea here, this harvest is really, really ripe. I remember one time hiking through, uh, through the jungle between villages in, in Peru, and I think uh, Josiah and Cullen and Javen, my boys, were there with me, and we, we were hiking through, and we were going on to the next village, and uh, we had to go through this coffee plantation. Um, there was a villager that had several lectarias, and, and he had planted coffee, and uh, in our area of the jungle, coffee grows really well, and Coca for cocaine grows really well. So those two things bring in the money. Chocolate too. But uh, we went through this coffee field and uh, there was all of these coffee trees just weighed down with coffee beans. And uh, the coffee beans, are, are they've got this red... Um, sweet kind of film on the outside of them and you suck on them and, and then you and then after you've sucked on lots of them then you you you, you, you sit them out in the sun and they and they dry for a couple of days and then you can toast them and yeah mill them and make your great coffee but uh anyway this guy had all of these coffee trees weighed down with these red coffee beans ready to harvest and and, and this one guy all by himself was trying to harvest and i was like like how are you gonna harvest all this where, where are the workers he's like I've tried to pay people. I've tried to offer, you know, guys to come work. Nobody, nobody, and, and uh, actually uh, the, the coffee companies weren't paying enough and he, he couldn't pay guys enough to make money on it. So he, all of this coffee is just going to rot on the tree. And it's just like, oh, if, if Starbucks only knew, if Americans only knew, oh, coffee. I mean, it's all just going to rot. And the harvest is ripe, but there's no workers. What an illustration. Souls. Souls. The harvest is ripe and 60 minutes to go and no one is going into the harvest. The 11th hour worker. Look at that. In verse uh, 3, and going out about the third hour, he saw others standing idle in the marketplace. In verse 6, he says, why do you stand there idle all the day? This word idle, you're standing there. Why are you standing there idle? And man, what? I, I feel convicted. I have wasted so much of my life just kind of standing there, twiddling my thumbs and doing nothing. Just being idle. And, and I told you yesterday I have the gift of offending people, so I'm sorry if, if that gift comes out right now, but some of you have just stood there idle in the marketplace your entire life. And you've just wasted away the third hour, 
the sixth hour, the ninth hour, and now it's the eleventh hour, and your life is almost gone. Christ is about to come, and you've done nothing. You've just wasted it. The, the, now it's the eleventh hour. And, and now, but the opportunity to, to still, he's still calling. He's still calling to go into the harvest. Man, I have wasted so much time. And just the, the conviction that this story brings to now the, the 11th hour, time to go into the harvest. And look at this, look at this sorry bunch in this group here. I mean, he comes at the 11th hour. These guys are still, they're like, they're not the most ambitious people. He comes in there, I mean, the hour after hour, and there's still all these guys sitting there. It's just this kind of ragtag group, uh, not many noble, not many wise, not many powerful, as Paul talks about. And yet, this master of the house, he, he calls them into the harvest field. And the grace and the mercy to, I mean, if I was the employer, these are the kind of people you don't want <laughs> that are left at the 11th hour. But I love the grace and how he still asks these people to come and work. This sorry bunch right here. God is the Savior of nobodies. You know, you can apply this passage actually in an evangelistic way also. I'm, I'm speaking to Christians and, you know, you, you kind of, the Lord has called you into his service maybe early, early in life. Maybe when, when you were 10 years old at camp, and the preacher put that string out there and you realized, wow, my life is short in comparison to eternity. And you first maybe felt this nudging of the Holy Spirit to give your life fully to Him as in a service of preaching the Word in a full-time capacity and, and, and you resisted. Or, or whatever your gifts and abilities the Lord has called you to do, and maybe there are some here that the Lord is calling you into full-time work to preach the gospel in a full-time capacity, make disciples, plant churches, missions. Maybe He's calling some of you into that full-time work this week, and you're at the 11th hour, and will you continue to resist? You resisted back at the third hour and resisted at the sixth hour of your life and then at the ninth hour and now there's just 60 minutes to go and he's calling again. 60 minutes to go. 60 minutes to go. 60 minutes to go. I think of Bert Elliott. And I've mentioned him a couple times. I always mention Bert Elliott. I just, he, he impacted my life so much. But uh, this is, once again, Bert Elliott is, was Jim Elliott's brother. Many of you are familiar with Bert Elliott. He, who, he famously said, he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. And, and then he went to Ecuador with four other guys. I mean, actually, these guys came at different times. But uh, kind of met up there to, meet, to um, go and reach the Aka Indians. And then he kind of carries out prophetically what he had said and, and, and fulfills that he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep. He gave his life which he couldn't keep to gain what he couldn't lose. Heaven. Um, Bert Elliott being Jim Elliott's brother and, and the Lord gave him a long life. Um, I think he was about 87. Amy, was he 87 or so? 
when he, when he died, but uh, the Lord used him and, and Colleen, his wife, to, to plant over 100 churches in the north and in the south, on, on the coast of Peru, in the mountains, in the jungle, and, and just as a young man, and he used to tell stories about, as a young man growing up in Portland, Oregon, and with Jim Elliott, I guess, they would go for fun, the youth group would go for fun to preach open air at 4th and Ash, downtown Portland, and uh, I, I guess Jim one time preached a, a message on the, on the street corner, and, and then he got done preaching, and he went behind. Behind Bert, and he, Bert said he just kind of kicked him in the pants. Said, okay, your turn, Bert. Get up there, brother. And Bert was kind of a little bit nervous, but yeah, going out and preaching. But just all these stories. They had a garbage business together. They bought a garbage truck, got a garbage route from the city of Portland, and they just went around this garbage route, 4.30 in the morning, pick up, picking up the garbage. And, and Bert said that one of them would be driving the truck, and the other would be on the back getting the garbage cans and throwing them in, and they'd be singing hymns. From the Black Book. I'm sure it was the Black Book. But uh, they're singing hymns from the Black Book as they're driving along in the, at the top of their lungs, 4.30 in the morning. They throw the garbage in the back, then put the lid back on the garbage can, slam down a tract, and go down to the next house. And just thinking, uh, uh, then Bert, he ends up, he goes to Peru and, and just freezing to de death up in the mountains, high up in the mountains, sometimes at 5,000 feet, and, um, or I'm sorry, 15,000 feet, 5,000 feet isn't that big of a deal, 15,000 feet, but freezing to death, sleeping in a, in a stack of straw, and then going into the jungle and preaching the gospel, sweating it out, burning up in the jungle, and having malaria and meningitis, and just, I mean, this guy living his life from a young man through his middle ages, and then his old man, he finally ends up on the coast of Peru, not able to go into the mountains or the jungle, but really now uh, a long line of, of young people coming to his house, wanting advice or give me wisdom. Could you pray for me in this? They always had like six, eight, ten people in their house at a time just living with them as he was discipling these people and pouring into their lives as an 80-year-old still going, going. Not as much strength, not as able to go and do what he did before, but still just like dashing to the finish line and just living this life from an early age. He, he received that call from the, the master that came and called him into the labor field or into the vineyard. Um, there at a, at a young age, and, and then working hard to the third hour, the sixth hour, the ninth hour, the eleventh hour, and, and working, working, working. As he, he was about to die um, and, and pass into glory, there would be several of us, we kind of rotated spending the night with him. Um, he had to get up every couple of hours, and we would help him to go to the bathroom or to, to kind of just stretch his legs. And I, I would pick him up out of his, his chair, kind of, and he was, he was kind of a, a heavy set man at, at the end, and uh, picking him up, and, and just we'd kind of dance like this to stretch his legs out. And, and he couldn't really say anything. Um, uh, but he could understand, he could kind of eke out some words. And I remember I, I, I told, I was telling him about Brother Bert, do you remember, remember the brothers in, in Atinamisa? That village that has the hot springs nearby and Ponguisla down river a little bit and uh, Ricardo Palma up river. And he just kind of like nods. Mm. And, and as we're dancing there, I told him, the brothers in the Tinamisa, they're going on to, to preach the gospel, make disciples and plant churches in some of the other villages where there weren't churches. And, and, and as, as I'm, we're kind of dancing there and I'm telling him about the work in the jungle, tears start just streaming down his cheeks. And, and he just ekes out this, Amen. And, and I just, I got it. I got an amen from Bert. And, and, and 
I, I say all of that, the kind of birth story from a young man to an old man, working, working, working. And what an example. And, and then, real quickly, contrasting his story, I, I baptized a guy in, in one of the villages in the jungle one time. He was 80 years old, a brand new believer. But I baptized him at 80 years old. And when he came up out of the water, he was like trembling and crying and I thought he was crying from joy and it might have been some joy but as he was just crying like uncontrollably and I was holding him and he just kept on saying I wasted it I wasted it I wasted it he was like uncontrollable and I just and praise the Lord a soul saved right at the end of his life right at the 11th hour of his life but just to contrast with Bert, who, who lived for the Lord from the beginning to the end and, and didn't waste it. Don't waste your life. 60 minutes to go. What will you do with these last 60 minutes? And now think of this the scandal of grace, this pay scale. Um, you, you could title this message in a couple of different ways, or this passage. You could look at this passage. I always like to look at a passage and try to give different sermon titles to it or, or figure out what the points are here and sometimes try to um, make them interesting to, to think about. So um, you could title this um, as we're going to talk about the, the scandal of grace or this, this scandalous pay scale. Um, the gospel message for the unemployed. Or you could title it, a message to lingering sinners. Or you could title it, We Need a Union. Or you could say, The Troubling Mathematics of Grace. Or you could say, That's socialism, man. Absurd ep economics. The, bat or the parable of the entitled worker. Equal pay for unequal work. The injustice of grace. All of those kind of ideas right there, but uh, this is the parable of the, the bad employer. Or maybe you should say the good employer. Actually, when I was little in Sunday school, I don't know if I misunderstood the Sunday school teacher or if she really said this, but the way that I remember being taught this passage is that this employer was abusing his workers and he should have paid them properly and he, he wasn't paying them right. And we should learn from this that we need to uh, be good stewards and, and, and pay our workers uh, in, a, in a righteous and just way. That's the way I remember the Sunday school teacher teaching me this. I, I, I'm not sure if I misunderstood it or not, but uh, that is not the point right here. The point right here is really... Grace isn't fair, but it isn't unfair either. I've got really good news. Grace isn't fair. And if you got what was fair and what was just, you would be going to hell. That is the, like the, a major point in the gospel. One time I was preaching in, in the jail in, in, in Dubuque, Iowa. I, I went into the jail. I got, got in there and, and uh, they, they put me in this room. It was, I don't know, maybe 15 by 15 foot 
square, and they put me in there, and, and uh, all these uh, inmates, they're all in orange, and, and they shut the door, they lock me in there with these guys, and the police are outside, or uh, the officers, or whatever, and, and I, I, I preach a, a message in there, and everybody's just really listening, and I get done, and I ask, hey, is there any prayer requests? Are there any prayer requests, something that I could pray for? And this one guy, he, he kind of raises his hand, and, and he was actually, uh, they had told me before, there are several murderers and, and rapists in here, and, and this was, this was uh, the newest guy to the group. And, and, uh, but he just, he said, hey, could you just pray for justice? Could you just pray for a fair trial? Because there, it just, there, there isn't justice in the, in the court system. It, it just isn't fair. Just pray for justice. And I looked at him, and then I looked around at everybody else. <laughs> Are you serious? Do you really want me to pray for justice? Do you want me to pray for a fair trial? I mean, if we pray for justice and a fair trial and God answers that prayer, you all really get justice? You're all going for life sentences in prison. Some of you are going to the electric chair. What we should be praying for is grace, for mercy. That's for love from the judge. That's what you need. You, if you get justice, you're in big trouble. And it was funny to see all their faces. They were kind of like, oh, yeah, I, I guess you're right. Justice. No, no, no. Grace, please pray for grace. And that, this idea in this parable right here, I've got really good news. God isn't fair. You don't deserve that pay in the first place. You think of these guys in the marketplace, even in the first hour of the day, and the guy comes in and he's, hey, I'm offering a denarius to anybody that'll come work in the vineyard. And a lot of the guys are like, a denarius? That's good pay. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> let's go. And they're working, and, and then he comes in third, a denarius, or actually he doesn't, he just says, go, go work in the vineyard. And, and anyway, then when the pay starts to happen here, and the foreman is paying everybody, and the 11th hour workers get paid first, and they get a whole denarius, the, the, the guys that started out early in the morning, they're like, the word starts to spread, hey, the 11th hour guys, the, they came in at the 11th, they're getting a whole denarius. And they're starting to think, the first hour guys are like, <laughs> I mean, like mathematically, we're probably going to get like 12 denarius. This, this is going to be good. And, and they're kind of getting excited. And then once the, the pay's getting handed out and everybody's getting a denarius, the grumbling starts, this, this isn't fair. This isn't fair. And, and people starting to get all upset here. And, but you know what? The whole point to this passage here is, God is debtor to no man. He is debtor to no man. He gives His grace to people that come and follow Him at the first hour, and He gives equal grace to those that come at the eleventh hour. God is full of grace and mercy, and we praise the Lord for that. We live in a day and age, a day and age of grace, but justice is coming. And woe to those who get what they deserve. Just 60 minutes left. Let's go into the harvest and desperately attempt great things for our great God and pulling sinners out of the flames of fire in these last few years that we have that He set before us. 60 minutes to go! 60 minutes to go! 60 minutes to go! And now I, land, I, I end right here. 
talking about the master. The master of this vineyard, the master of this house. And this is not just any old master right here. I think if we look at this, this passage, I think we ought to conclude this master of the house is Jesus himself. And he's calling people into his vineyard. This is no normal master. You put, you take a scale and you put kingdoms and kings and you put gold and wealth and all the money in this world on this side. And then you actually, you put whole whole galaxies and solar systems even angels and demons powers and principalities on this side and then you put jesus on this side of the scale and he outweighs them all this is the master of the house he is not a normal master and then you think about who this master is and he's actually called you into the harvest oh what an honor what an, he's calling you. I mean, if Le, LeBron James calls me to play on his team, if Steph Curry calls me to play on his team, or you put some important figure in our world today and he calls you to be a part of his, his team or his agenda or whatever it is, I mean, wow, what an honor. We're talking about Jesus Christ, the God of the universe, King of kings, Lord of lords, the Lion of the tribe of Judah, the, the, the bread that comes down out of heaven. This is the, the, the Lamb of God slain before the foundations of the world. The Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the one who was and who is to come. And He's called you to go out into the vineyard and to work it, for Him. And it's the last 60 minutes. What an honor. What an honor here in these last days to go into the harvest and here at the 11th hour, 11th hour workers. 60 minutes to go. 60 minutes to go. 60 minutes to go. Let's pray. Father God, we thank You for Your Word. We thank You for this passage right here. Pray that You would help us Help us to go forward in the power of the Holy Spirit in this last hour of human history as the sands are, are slipping through the last sands in the hourglass of time. We pray that you would put it into our hearts a sense of urgency. Help us to go forward with the gospel boldly and courageously. What an honor to be called to be part of your workforce. And Lord, some of us, we ignored the call early on in life. At the third hour, we ignored the call. At the sixth hour, we ignored the call. At the ninth hour, continuing to linger. Oh Lord, I pray that we would be idle no longer. Help us to go forward boldly now, going in the power of the Holy Spirit, because if You are for us, who can be against us? So Lord, I pray that you would put a burning passion in our souls now. We thank you for this opportunity this week to think about some of these things. Pray that you would help us. And once again, give us an eternal perspective. In Jesus' name, amen.